Often a, a lot of Christians have kind of a membrane in their minds between truth and life. We, we listen to things and we say, oh, that's true, that's really cool, that's really life-changing, that's awesome, praise the Lord. Then we go home and we watch the Rams or whatever we're watching, and, and that's the end of it. And I'm praying today that God is just going to tear that membrane right out of your mind so that you begin to realize if it's true, it must affect life. If, if you cannot see how it affects life, you have not yet come to know truth. And so I'm praying today that God is going to rock your world. When I, when I was young, and that was many, many moons ago, uh, there was a, a funny commercial where a guy's putting on uh, an aftershave. And this hand comes up from out of the screen and just slaps him in the face and knocks him on the ground. And, and the guy, guy gets up and he goes, thanks, I needed that. You know, it's like we, sometimes we need to be slapped a little bit and shaken into reality. And, and, and I hope to collectively slap you all in the faces. And, and at the end of today, you'll say, thanks, I needed that. Because you, ah, this passage cannot fail to change your life unless you fail to take it seriously. This, this will change everything about how you approach your life. It will change everything about how you pray. It will change everything about the amount of peace you feel in the craziest, most overwhelming situations of life. And it will change the courage that you have as you approach every day, no matter how far out of control it feels. We are in John chapter 11. If you've got your Bibles, turn there. We're actually going to start with uh, the last three verses of John 10 because I want you to understand the context. Just so you know, starting with John 10 about, oh, I think it's 45. We'll figure that out in a minute. We are now, even though we're in John 11, barely the middle of the book, we are 14 days from the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So it's like if, if we were in a Star Wars movie, this is where, where all of the spaceships are gathering for the final battle. Luke is pulling out his sword, and, and uh, Darth Vader is over there, and they're getting ready to do their 80-minute battle. And all, you know, so everything's kind of coming towards the, the final conclusion. If this is a volcano, it's, the pressure is building up, and this volcano is ready to explode with about 40 times the amount of nuclear arms that have ever been developed. I mean, this is building towards something huge. I just want you to get a sense of what's about to change. Because in 14 days, God, the creator of the universe, is moving to make it possible for we, his creation, to become a part of his family, even though we've rebelled against him. Jesus is going to die, and as he dies, and I, I was at a, 
a friend's memorial service yesterday, and, and I, I loved what he said. He, you know, he said, death, we think of death and cancer as friends, but he said, death kills cancer. And so this person who, who died from her cancer is now free from her cancer. She didn't go to death and then come back from death. She went through death into the presence of Jesus Christ. And when you realize this, you begin to realize all of that is because Jesus died so that your sins, past, present, and future, even the sins you haven't committed, he's already paid for at the cross. Then three days after that, he rises from the dead, and in rising from the dead, he gives us the proof beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have a hope of a future re resurrection. We will rise as Jesus rose. And then for the next 40 days, he appears to over 500 people. That's more people than are under this tent. Jesus appeared to them as a living, breathing, eating, touching human being to prove again that his death and resurrection was not Oh, he's alive as we, remember him, as we remember him in our hearts. You know what people say at funerals? They say things that so often make no sense. He's alive in our hearts. Really? She's alive as long as we remember her. What does that mean? It's like we're defining life as an idea. But my friend who died, she is not alive like that. She's more alive than she's ever been. And Jesus, in rising from the dead, showed people that death is not the end. Death is the doorway to eternity. Then he goes on and he, 40 days later, he goes, he ascends into heaven and from heaven, he sends the Holy Spirit into your life so that you can now be the temple of the living God. To call Christianity a religion misunderstands religion and it completely misunderstands Christianity. Christianity, a relationship with Jesus, being a follower of Jesus, is, is leaving one life and dying to that life and being born to a brand new life where you are now a possessor, a vessel of the Holy Spirit who empowers you and transforms you and gives you strength and courage to live your life that you've never had before. Puts you on a whole different path. All of this is happening in about the next 50 days from where we start today. And it's crazy because uh, John 10, 40, 40 through 42, it's a strange moment of peace before the storm breaks. So this is right after this huge confrontation with, with the Jews where they were trying to seize him and stone him and kill him and do all of these things. He slips out of this grasp, and then here's where we pick it up. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. Now, this sounds like, oh, he went about a football field away and, and it's over there. Jesus went a whole day's journey. So if you, if you remember your map of Israel, you had the little Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, 
and then over here is Jerusalem, and then over there is the Mediterranean Sea. Well, Jesus went down to Jericho. He crossed the Jordan River. He walks about a day's journey up to a little town called Perea. This is where John the Baptist was baptizing. And Jesus goes back to where everything started, where John first bore witness of Jesus Christ. And he says he remained at that place. And many came to him and they said, John did no sign. But everything John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. This is so cool, you guys. At the very end of Jesus' ministry, it ends like it started with John the Baptist bearing witness of who Jesus was. At the beginning, it was John the Baptist as a living man saying, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now, at the end of Jesus' ministry, this is John, a man who had died whose life and previous ministry is still screaming witness to who Jesus Christ is. Hey, believe this guy because he is the Messiah who has come into the world to save us. And so they believe him. So Jesus has this really cool ministry. It's a very peaceful time. And all of that's about to change. So now we're in John chapter 11. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Now, I want you to see what, what is going on. Jesus, or John, is setting the stage for why this is going to be so huge. Lazarus is evidently a, a really well-known guy, and John is writing in 96 AD, and he's saying, Oh, by the way, church, do you remember Mary? She's the one who anointed Jesus' feet with oil. Now, this hasn't happened yet in John. It's going to happen in the next chapter. And she took her hair down, and she wiped his feet with her hair. And you get the idea that by the end of the first century, everybody who was anybody in the Christian faith knew this story. Mary, this, she's the woman who wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. And so John uses her to kind of hashtag Lazarus so that, so that, oh, okay, now we got it. Now we know who you're talking about. Now let's keep reading. She sent a message to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. You notice they don't ask Jesus to come. They don't need to. They know Jesus loves them. They know just telling Jesus about their situation is all that needs to happen. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer at the place where he was about at Nazareth, or at the place where he was. Now, I want to give you some observations out of this because it's a very interesting passage. Number one, Mary is introduced as the woman who will anoint Jesus' feet. Number two, the sisters affirm the obvious. Jesus loves Lazarus. 
John restates that to make sure that we understand that Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. These, these aren't just pawns in some play. These are people that Jesus loves. After saying that the sickness was for the glory of God, Jesus, without any comment or explanation, other than telling the messenger, hey, this is for the glory of God, go back and tell Martha and Mary that. Jesus turns to his disciples and says, hey, what are we going to do today? And so they just go on ministering and bringing people to himself as if nothing has happened. And I don't know if you can put yourself in the disciples' shoes, but they're going, uh, uh, A plus B is not equaling C. Lord, Lazarus is sick. You had the ability to heal him, but you're, you're not going to go down? Now, there's one thing I want you to realize, and it's it's very important point. It's very clear from the timing of this chapter that by the time the messenger got to Jesus, Lazarus was already dead. So even if he would have come right down, he would have still been dead. But Jesus wanted to wait two more days. Why? He wanted to make this miracle so amazing that nobody would ever forget it. If you've been around dead bodies very much, it, we, don't, we don't get too grossed out with them because usually it's in a refrigerated room. They don't decompose very quickly. No refrigeration in Judea. It's very hot. And so they usually, they didn't have burials like two weeks later. They had burials like that day. You know, they got people in, they put a stone around it, they sealed the stone, they didn't want any of that stuff coming out because it was really bad. So we go on, there's one other thing I want you to understand. John has introduced us to a prominent family in Bethany. Bethany is two miles from Jerusalem. I, I wanted to give you a picture of how close that was. We are two miles from Jans and Moore Park. So that's how far the, the village of Bethany is from the gates of Jerusalem. So, I mean, what is that? If we, if we all walked there, that'd be, what, a 20-minute walk or something? It's, I mean, we are really close. And, and John brings up that because Lazarus was a very prominent man in Bethany, many people from Jerusalem had come up to Bethany to mourn with Mary and Martha. So not only do you have all of the people of Bethany mourning there, but you have a whole bunch of people from Jerusalem. So you have a mob surrounding uh, this whole situation. Have you been to a memorial service? I, I, I don't mind being the pastor doing the memorial service. I hate being the family of the person for whom the memorial service is done. Because everybody kind of stares at you. You know how that, you know, everybody's, kind of following you around, watching you. How are you doing? How are you doing? How are you doing? And, and so you ask, yeah, you're asked 500 times, how are you? I'm fine. Okay, great. Okay. And so then you go on. It's, it's, you're like the center of attention. And if you can imagine, Mary and Martha are in their home. They decide to go out to the tomb. So this little crowd just follows them all the way to the tomb. And they go back to the home. And so wherever Mary and Martha are, that's where the crowd goes. It's kind of uncomfortable, actually. So, 
now in verse 7, it's, it's now two days after the messenger has left. And there's going to be a little bit of an argument of Jesus with his disciples. Then after this, after the two days are done, he says, hey, let's go to Judea again. He doesn't say to Bethany. He says to Judea. Now, all the disciples can remember is, hey, wait a minute. Judea is where the, the people tried to stone you. They tried to arrest you. What do you want to go down there for? Now, I want you to look at verse 9. This is such a cool concept. Jesus says, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he, does not see the, because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. At first you read that and you go, what? What's he talking about? I want to make this real simple for you. The day is being where God wants you to be. The night is being where God doesn't want you to be. So Jesus had a choice. Should I go to Judea where people are trying to kill me? Or should I stay here where it's safe? Now, this is what I want you to understand. Circumstantially, it seems safer to stay where he is. But in Jesus' mind, that's the most dangerous place to be because that's not where God wants him to be. The safest place to be is right in the center of God's will. And so he's telling the disciples, look, we're where God wants us to be now, but God wants us to go to Judea. If we stay here, we'll be in darkness and we will stumble. I want to encourage you, as a child of God, I'm not sure God wants us making decisions in life for the purpose of protecting our own safety. The question is, where does God want us? Where God wants us, that's where we need to be. Now it goes on. And he says, after, he says our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples, again, it's going right over their heads. They do not want Jesus going down there. And they say, look, if he's fallen asleep, he's going to awaken himself. You don't need to go down there, Jesus. And then finally, Jesus says in verse 13, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told him, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. I'm glad I was not able to heal him by going down there because I want you to believe. Now you think, wait a minute, the disciples already believed. Here's what I want you to understand. We all believe, don't we? A lot of us, a lot of us here, we, we're here because we have believed in Christ. What Jesus is saying is I want your faith to go to a whole new level. I want you to believe like you've never believed before, and that's my prayer for you today. Now, let's keep going. I love this. So Thomas, I don't know where Peter was, because Peter's the one who was always opening his mouth, but Thomas speaks up, and he says, well, and this is really a statement of resignation. He says, let's go so we can die with them. Great man of faith there. Actually, Thomas, what you see consistently is in his life, he's the realist of the group. 
He's got a little bit of a skeptic's nature in him, but one of the things you see in Thomas right now, this man is loyal. He is fully expecting that this trip is not going to go well for Jesus. And you know what? He was absolutely right. It did not go well for Jesus. And what he was also expecting is this trip was not going to go well for the followers of Jesus. But he's hooked his wagon with Jesus, so he says, let's go. If he's going to die, let's die with him. I love that response. So now, we're down in Bethany. It's a day later, John 11, 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brothers. So he's bringing up a couple of things. Number one, this is very near Jerusalem. And number two, there are a lot of Jews from Jerusalem who would come for the purpose of consoling Mary and Martha. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated at the house. We're going to see something really interesting about these two women. They're sisters, but if, you've ha- if you are a woman who has had a sister, you know that sisters can be night and day, right? Mary is this tough-nosed, no-nonsense, hard-as-nails kind of woman. I mean, you know, she's the kind of woman who if you walk up and give her a hug, you know, it's, it's like hugging a piece of rock. I mean, she's solid. Whereas Mel- Mary... You, you put her around to hug her, she'll, she'll kind of melt in your arm. You know, she's, she's just a very feeling, sensitive, deeply emotional person. And we see this in the conversation of Jesus. It's, it's really remarkable. So Mary comes to, or Martha comes to Jesus. And the first thing she says is, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, in the one sense, you may say, oh, that's a nice statement of faith. You know what it really is? It's a rebuke. Lord, if only you would have been here, my brother wouldn't be in the tomb. And I love the new uh, living translation. It actually uses the word, if only you had come, my brother would not have died. Now, let me tell you what's going on. The sisters had faith that Jesus could heal, but the end of their faith happened when Lazarus died. So in their mind, their situation went from something that God could handle to something that was beyond God's ability to handle, and it was too late now. Whenever you use the the term, if only, you're talking about situations that are too late. It's over. If only the Dodgers could have hit one more three, one home run. Yeah. See, we say, if only, because it's over. They're done. You don't have to waste four hours a night watching a game anymore. (laughs) Just not kidding. All right. Um... So anyway, she says this, and I think she realized what she just said. So she tries to recover. She says, ah, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, he will give you. You know, she's trying to kind of do a little damage control. 
And Jesus says to her, your brother's going to rise again. And I, and I think he looked at her and said, Martha, your brother's going to rise again. But all she heard was, oh, he's alive as long as we remember him in our hearts. <laughs> this did not spark any hope in her. She believed in Jesus, but her belief had a limit, and that limit was death. She goes on now. She says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. So she's, she's still thinking, blah, 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 nice ideas. Yeah, isn't that sweet? Yeah, we'll see him again. All of these kind of things. And then Jesus verbally just whacks her in the face. And I want you to hear Jesus because he's not saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Isn't that sweet? Jesus looks and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. You are looking at that which gives life through resurrection. And anyone who believes in me, even if he dies, he will live. And those who believe will never die. And then he looks at her and he says, Martha, do you believe this? He was trying to break that little membrane between truth and life, and it still hadn't broken. Martha has amazing faith, and I love what she says. It's a great, it's a great thing. She says, yes, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. She's saying, ah, I, my faith can go this far, but what you're saying, I, uh, I don't know. And she's not about to say that. Now, Mary is really uncomfortable with where this conversation is going. So she actually pulls away from Jesus. And she calls her friend and she says, would you go tell Mary to get her behind out here? Because Jesus and I are talking and he's talking crazy, man. And I don't know what to do with this. But you, know, you seem to know how to handle a Mary. Would you come out? So she says, hey, the teacher is calling from you. Now, we have no record that Jesus asked for Mary. Martha is telling, you know how we tell those white lies, you know? Oh, Steve called and he gives, your love, gives him your, his love, even though I never said that. <laughs> we do that all the time, don't we? I mean, uh, maybe I'm the only one, I don't know. But, yeah, yeah, Mary, uh, Jesus is here. And by the way, he's asking for you. Come on, get out of here. So, this is so great. As soon as Mary heard it, she jumps up and she goes to Jesus right away. Now, she had been so deep in her own sorrow that she had heard that Jesus was coming. Martha gets up and goes to him, but Mary is just so overwhelmed with her own grief, she can't even get out of that at that point. This is where things get really amazing to me. Uh, verse 31, when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw, that Mary, saw Mary rise quickly and go, they followed her. See, there's that little crowd of people who's following the mourner. Right? Wherever, wherever she goes, they're going. So they're, they think she's going out to the tomb to mourn, but she comes to Jesus. Now when Mary, verse 32, came to Jesus and saw him, she fell at his feet. 
Mary doesn't come and say something. She just collapses at the feet of Jesus. It's like she is a basket case. She is so overwhelmed with sorrow, she can't even stand. And this poor, sad, crying woman falls at Jesus' feet. And she says exactly the same words. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same words. I have a hunch Martha's was a rebuke and Mary's was not. Mary's was just an expression of deep, deep sadness. When Jesus saw her weeping, so she's not even standing before him. She's collapsed at his feet and she's just sobbing. And when he saw her and the, the people around her says something very interesting. He was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. The greatly troubled actually means that Jesus was angry. You know what he was angry at? It's the pain that sin has caused in this world and in the lives of people he loves. Why was Lazarus dead? Because thousands of years before, Adam and Eve chose to be God of their own lives. They turned away from God and they set sin into the world. And Romans 5.12 says that along with sin came death. And Jesus saw firsthand in the life of this woman that he loved with all his heart. And he saw the pain and the tragedy of sin and death as it affected her. So we read on, when Jesus saw her weeping, he had, his spirit was deep, he is troubled or moved in spirit and greatly troubled, verse 34, and he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. So they walk over to the tomb and Jesus begins to weep. The word weep here means sobs. I mean, just, just, you know how you have a, you shed a tear. That wasn't this. This was, this was tears just streaming down his face. He was openly crying. Shortest, shortest verse in the Bible. We always used to joke, if you want to start memorizing scripture, that's a great verse to start with. Jesus wept. You got it. Okay. But when we do that, I, I, I think we miss the deep emotion of this moment. Mary is sobbing. Jesus is sobbing. And they're standing at the tomb of maybe his best friend outside of the 12 disciples. And it says after this, the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also kept him from dying? Notice they're all talking in the past tense. It would have been nice, Jesus, as if you would have gotten here a few days earlier and you could have healed him. But now it's over. Then we come to the miracle. Verse 38. Then Jesus moved again, came to the tomb in a cave, and a stone lay against it. 
And Jesus says, take away the stone. I think Martha thought, I wants to see his friend one last time. You know how you have viewings? Maybe they don't do that anymore, but they used to, at funerals, they would have an open casket and people walk, would walk by. And I remember with my mom, everybody says she looks so good, you know. Just, that's kind of, we, we say things like that. It's, and that's what Martha thought. She's pretty practical. I love the King James. Uh, King James says, it's been four days, and lo, he stinketh. <laughs> what a great line. And what she was talking about, she was talking about the fact that, look, Jesus, I, I hate to break this to you, but... If we whirl away that stone, it is going to stink like crazy because in the hot weather, he's been decomposing. All of the bodily fluids are leaking out. Everything's coming. And boy, it is a stench, you know. So there's Martha for you. Practical, practical lady. Jesus said to her, and again, this is kind of a rebuke. Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And I think even Martha kind of backed away. Whoa, sorry. And so they roll away the stone. I don't know if you've ever heard a loud silence. Does that make any sense to you? It, it's, it's a moment when something happens that it kind of takes your breath away. And everybody just pulls in a breath and they just kind of hold the breath for a moment and it is dead silent. And I think everybody's wondering, what is Jesus going to do? And then he calls out, Lazarus, come out. Now, he didn't just appear right at the gate, because think of this. He's laying down, he's bound head to foot in, you know, in mummy clothes kind of stuff. And so, you know, it's like in the movie, you know, the horror movies, the zombie movies where the eyes pop open, you know. The, so you have, you know, his, his face is all, all of a sudden his eyes open up. What am I doing here? So he, he starts getting up and he's trying to, you know, get over it on, because he's on kind of a little shelf. So he's trying to get on the shelf and he can't bend his legs very good. So, you know, he stands, maybe even falls over. Who knows what happens? It's, you know, he's trying to get out, but he can't. And so you see Lazarus kind of, you know, hopping over, and finally, and, and everybody's just looking at this hole in the, in the tomb. Nothing's happening for about 30 to 45 seconds that must have just seemed like an eternity. Jesus just said the one word. He didn't repeat himself. And so Jesus just standing there with his coats in his toga pockets, you know, and uh, just, just watching, waiting. And everybody's going, what are you waiting for? And then they see Lazarus. And still, nobody moves. Nobody says anything. They're just standing there looking at a man who was completely bound in his grave clothes. And I love Jesus. He says, would you go untie him, please? You know. And so they unbind him. 
You guys, it would be so cool if they made a movie and, and Spielberg did the special effects of Lazarus coming to life. Because think of, think of a body that's been dead and hot for four days. All of the, the skin is, is uh, shriveled and decomposed, and you see the bones real clearly. There's no flesh or muscle left. The, the fluids are all out. So it's just a horrible, not lovely thing that you're looking at. And all of a sudden, the muscles begin to reform on the, on the hand, and, and the hands begin to have strength, and the legs reform, and the blood begins to flow through these blood vessels that haven't had blood flowing further than for four days now. The mind is reoxygenated, and all of the, all of the decomposition of the mind that, that kept him from functioning now is snapping back to life. All of this is happening in an instant and this man who was fully dead is now fully alive. I read one commentary, uh, a guy who, he believes the Bible enough to have written a commentary on the Gospel of John, and he said, this has to be a metaphor. And the reason he doesn't believe it, he just comes out and says, it's impossible. You can't do this. You talk about wanting to slap somebody silly. I just like to, you know, do you, God, creator of the heavens and earth, God who brought Jesus back from the dead, you, you said you sort of believe in that, although he talks about that being a mass hallucination. Uh, and so it's, it's crazy. He just comes out and says it, and the reason he doesn't believe it is you can't do that. He said, it's, you can raise, like the widow's son, he, he raised him from the dead, and he said he probably was in a coma, and Jesus gave him respiration, and he came back to life. You know? So he, he sort of has explanations for all of these little quasi-miracles that he sees in the Bible. But this one, you can't quasi-miracle at it. It's either a miracle or it didn't happen. And so his conclusion isn't it, it couldn't happen. My miracle, my conclusion is that it's a miracle of the creator of the universe who can do whatever he wants. The next day, Lazarus is having dinner with him. From what we learn of tradition, he lived 30 more years. He uh, moved to Cypriot. He became a, a pastor of a church there, and he pastored until he was 60 years old, and then he died again. So Jesus didn't cure death for Lazarus. He just postponed it a little bit. What are the results? Let's jump down to verse uh, 45. Many of the Jews there who had come with Mary and had seen what he had did believed in him, to which I go, duh. They... Everybody knew he was dead. I think that's why Jesus waited the four days. No doubt. And, and you think if you saw somebody who called somebody back from the dead, at this point, it's getting pretty tough to say, ah, oh, it was just a trick. And so many of the Jews from Jerusalem who had previously not believed in Jesus now decided to put their faith in him. So that was number one. Number two, uh, 46. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And so these are the guys who are saying, boy, 
this guy's messed up. He is going to completely mess up everything we're trying to build in, in Israel. And so they went to tell the leaders because they knew what the leaders wanted to do. And the third thing we see is the leaders decided at this point, this is what set into motion the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They said, he has to die. So verse, 40, uh, verse 53, from, the, from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Verse 57, now the chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. So they were going from passive, if we happen to see him, we'll arrest him, to active, we need to begin an APB on Jesus, we need to arrest him, and we need to kill this guy. And it's really amazing because uh, they just go on and confess, they know that he did the miracle, and they said, if we let him keep going, everybody's going to follow him. Whoa! But then they say, and if everybody follows him, the Romans will come away and take away our power. That is the real reason the Jews killed Jesus. Not because they didn't believe he was the Messiah. They did believe he was the Messiah. But they, he wasn't the Messiah that they wanted, so they needed to put him to death. And then I just want to read two other verses because I, I want you, John directly ties this in to why the triumphal entry was such an amazing event. So John 12, 9 and 10, I'm not going to do too much spoiler alert, but this is next week. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he, whom he had raised from the dead, so the chief priest also made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. So not only do we need to kill Jesus, we need to kill the evidence of the miracle so that nobody gets caught up in this guy. So I want you to picture what's coming on. It's now the day after Mary anointed Jesus' feet with oil and all of this kind of stuff. It's Sunday now. Jesus is walking into town, and there's a massive crowd from Bethany People who had been in Jerusalem, they're now in Bethlehem. They're following Jesus. And now there's a massive crowd from people from Jerusalem who are coming out. And these two crowds meet in the middle. They see Jesus, they see Lazarus, and they're going, whoa, the Messiah is here. So they did what Jews know to do when the Messiah comes into Jerusalem. They grab palm branches, they start waving them, and in fulfillment of Zechariah 9, they say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And what they're saying is, Welcome, Messiah! And all of that happened because Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And the events that come from here on out we're all triggered. It's like an earthquake that triggered a volcanic explosion. The raising of Lazarus triggered all the events of next week that resulted in Jesus being beaten and crucified, but then him raising from the dead. You guys, I, I don't know what this does to you. But to me, it answers the question once and for all of Genesis 18:14. When God was with Sarah and Abraham, he asked him a question. He said, is anything too difficult for the Lord? And the answer is a screaming no. 
I want to invite the worship team as we close to come on up. And I, my passion is that your faith is going to grow. That there will never be a circumstance in your life where you feel like it's beyond the power of God. You, be in, you may be in a marriage that is falling apart and you said, well, if only we could have started work on it sooner, it might have worked out. Or if only we would have started earlier helping our child to believe, he might have believed and now he's an adult that's too far gone. If only I would have worked harder at my work, I would have had a good job, but now I'm fired and it's gone and we don't have any money. And so in your mind, it's like you're in the if only range now. I want you to destroy that range and say, see that God wants to enter in to your life right here, right now, and to give you the strength to overcome whatever you're facing. So here's my question for you. Is there a challenge in your life that is overwhelming you? Is there something going on that is just eating your joy and, bringing, and replacing it with anxiety? Is there something that is causing you to live in fear? Is there something that if you think you're just dreading the future and you don't know what's going to happen? People of God, let God enter in right there. Run to Him. Don't walk to Him, run to Him. What I want to invite you to do is, as we're saying, we have some folks uh, to pray for you. And here's what I'd like you to do is, my challenge is this, and I want God to do this. Philippians 4 says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything. Instead, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, tell God what you want Him to do. And so if you're facing a challenge, don't walk away without running to God. Don't walk away without giving somebody the privilege of laying hands on you and bringing down the blessing and power and faithfulness of God into your life right now. He wants to do beyond what you can ask or think or even imagine. And what he will use is the same power that he used to raise Jesus from the dead. So we have worship, we have uh, a communion, and I just want to remind you, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, this is the guy who raised Lazarus from the dead. This is the guy who died for your sins. This is the guy who rose from the dead. He wants to bring you into the family of God today. So again, if you're here today and you have never made that commitment to become a child of God, to put your trust in this Jesus who raised Lazarus from the dead. Go to somebody, uh, the people who are praying, and just say, hey, I want Jesus today. They'll help you find him. And your life will never be the same. We have communion. We have uh, a place over by the coffee where you can give or we, you can give online. Uh, this is a great opportunity for you to just meet with God today. So Father, as we uh, spend our time acknowledging that you are the almighty God, there is no limits with you. Lord, would you open our eyes to what you want to say to us. And I just pray that people who you're talking to right now would not 
wait a minute, they would go and ask for prayer or they would go seek your face. They would go decide to put their trust in you and that today would be a big win for the kingdom of God and a big loss for Satan. In Jesus' name, amen.